Hello and welcome to Cybercrime Investigations. The inside story of the Talk Talk hack with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. Right, in the last episode then, um, I found out about Sahil Hussein and Shareeb Khan in Calcutta. Yes. I've been told these were dodgy chaps who were running this operation. Yes. But I, I'd failed singularly to get into the operation work out what was going on. And meanwhile... Yes, you failed, yes. Yes, thanks. And Tamsin, uh, meanwhile, is £5,000 poorer, obviously. Um, and other people, you know, there, were, there was a law firm at the point was trying to get a, a sort of group of people together and accumulate evidence. They had dozens of people who'd all been subjected to the same scam. And it was the classic call from Indian guy, person with Indian accents. They have your talk, talk details. They install this piece of software on your computer that gives them access. And then they get access to your bank account and then they perform the same scam. And it was all, what was interesting was it was always £5,200. There's so many of the cases that I came across. Hmm. And and it was that thing of, oh, well, I pressed the five and the two on the keyboard at the same time. It was always that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I'm trying to work out how this is going. It had gone quiet. I'd left it for, I think, nine months. Like, I'd left it... I hadn't done anything on it for ages. And I'm on Facebook one night, and I just get this message. Hello, sir, I need to talk to you urgently. Hello, sir, I need to talk to you urgently. It's like several times this person... Yes, that's right. And at the end of the last episode, you wouldn't tell. You told me I had to wait. Well, to, and I've been on tenterhooks ever since. Ever since. Ever yeah. since. That must have been torturous for you, given the, the the period of time that's elapsed. It's an uncomfortable position to be in if you've ever tried being on tenterhooks. <laughs> it's it's stressful for the muscles. I think tent- that's a sideline. Let's not get into it. I was going to go into the history of tenterhooks anyway. But so, um, look, the 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 message comes in, and I said, look, can I? Cause I will be honest with you, Glenn. I had had a certain amount of just time wasters calling me from India yeah. who couldn't give me leads. So I, I, I was fairly brusque with this person and said, what is it? And he says about talk talk. And I said, what? What do you want to tell me? Um, and what he told me was that he'd recognised, he'd seen the report I'd done. He recognised the two people in it, Shaweeb Khan and Zahel Hussain, because they were his bosses at the company where <gasps> he worked in India. Where had he seen this? He'd seen the reports on the internet. You can just watch it. It's out on YouTube and stuff. Okay, but how did he just come across it? That's a bit... Clearly somebody had been... Because people in... I don't know how this report went... Got picked up in India, but somehow... Well, I guess you put those people's India. names... You'd mentioned Sahel Hussain in the report. Yes, oh yes, yeah. Mention the names, right, so maybe he was in, yeah. Googling his bosses, even. Possibly, possibly. Well, to, and it would probably come up. There probably aren't many mentions of his bosses on the internet. The other thing is, I wonder whether... When Sahel Hussein and Shreve Khan did a runner, which they clearly did after we put them on the programme, I wonder whether they then turned around and went and started telling their friend, oh, God, you know, I was on this. But I, I just wonder whether it, gossip happened. Because I've been to India. It's quite, you know, they, they do. Gossip seems to be a thing that takes off in India. It's quite a febrile gossip scene. Yeah. And I just can't imagine that somebody wouldn't have said, oh, have you seen this video? Nudge, nudge. It had been doing the rounds in India. Don't ask me how or why, but it had been okay. doing the rounds in India. These this guy on Facebook had seen the video and said, the people in that video is my boss and, and, and his boss. Sahel Hussein and Shaweeb Khan. Right. And I said, so, so when you say boss, what do you mean? And he started to describe a situation where he had been interviewed for a call centre job working, he was told, for Talk Talk. He said this, that you will be working on the Talk Talk account in this job. Okay. He gets the job, he turns up to work, there's an office full of 
uh, hundreds in, in the low hundreds of people all mm. sitting at desks with the headsets on doing a customer support job. Right. And the guys who hired him said, look, um, there's an auto-dialer system, so we plug in all the phone numbers and it dials all the phone numbers automatically, and as soon as somebody picks up, the call gets transferred to one of the call centre guys. And here is what you need to say to them. And they gave them a script. And he actually showed me the script. So these are the, these are the bits from the, from the script that he was sent. So there's little um, instructions on what they're supposed to be doing. So, hang on, where's the other one? Up here. Yeah, here we go. Can I speak to Mr. Slash Mrs. Customer? Yes, yeah, speaking. Good morning, sir slash madam, with the last name of the customer. This is, insert name here, I am calling you from TalkTalk, Talk, your internet service provider, and this is notification call in regards to your internet and computer. They were given a script to read out to these folks. And then there was this issue here. So basically, knowing that a customer might say, hang on, this is a scam, why should I trust you? Why I trust on why you? Why I trust on you? Obviously, it's not like pigeon English. Answer. Okay, I'll give you your Talk Talk account number, and you can match it with your Talk Talk bill. That number's correct. Not only that, it's a very confidential number. No one has this account in the whole world. Expect you. I think they mean accept you. There's a call centre of, of folks who are ringing up. That's their job. They are told they're working for Talk Talk, and when they get through to a customer, they run exactly the same script on them as they did on Tamsin. Do they your... all know that they're trying to get £5,000 out of people, or do they then <laughs> hand the phone on to their bosses, or what? They hand the phone over, exactly right. Ah. So their job in this office was just installing the remote access tool software, the thing that allows access to the computer. So all these people are creating leads yep. Yes. for the bosses. Yep. Who are then making tons of money. Who are in a different office in Calcutta. Really smart this. This is really smart because, number one, palpable denial. You can tell that office of people that they're working for Talk Talk. Now, do they really believe it? Do they really care? They're getting paid, I think it's £120 a month. Now, I don't know whether that's big or small in India, but it's money. It's a job. They're told they're working on behalf of Talk Talk, and they never get to see where this is all going. They never get to see the fraud. Mm. They're just installing the software, and when the software is installed and they've got a connection, they hand it over. They get a bonus, by the way, for every person they get to install this software. Now, what this means is, A, you've got palpable denial, because you've got 100 people in that office, or several hundred, who could blab at any time if they knew what was going on. Mm. So you want to keep those people ignorant, and you want to you section them off. But also, they're doing the donkey work. They're at the top end of the funnel. They're trying to call as many people as possible and install this software. You don't want to use your expensive fraudster guys who know what they're doing. They just want to, they do, all they want to do is the hot leads. All they want to do is the people who are ready to be defrauded. So you have a whole office of people. And you need your top guys to do the whole crying bit, the whole like, exactly. oh, I pressed the wrong button. Exactly, exactly. But then I'm just, I'm just thinking of a slight flaw in their plan, mm -hmm. which is that if you're building up a bit of a relationship with the first guy, mm. and then you're after you've installed the software, you're put on to the second guy, then no. when he cries, you don't have much of a relationship with him because you've only just started talking to him. Well, they, I mean, the, the, the fraud guys would be on them, onto them for, for, for a little while, so they'd talk them through the sort of compensation thing. And remember, that's, remember the, the long con we talked about? Yeah. 
The idea of roping the mark is that you do transfer them through multiple different people. You do have multiple oh, people. Oh, I suppose, because then at least them. it doesn't sound like it's just one exactly. random dude. Exactly. It's a whole, you know, if you've got a whole team of people there in yep. the office and yep. you can hear a bit of a hubbub behind you, then you immediately yep. think it's legit. I always think if there's a hubbub, a hubbub. it's probably legit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a classic boiler room scam, isn't it? Where yes. you have, like, office noise on the, on the background behind you. Okay. So the whole idea of, you're right, the hubbub in the, in, in the call centre helps um but also you know it gives this impression that you've found a large organization i'm going to put you through to our refunds department you're yeah. like oh refunds department you know they've clearly got you don't realize they have a... some kind of hold music you need that to create possibly would the real feel of a major corporation that would definitely help with the scam anyway so i got contacted there not just by one person but by multiple people yeah who had all... Because, I mean, let's face it, you've interviewed hundreds of people for this job. There's people interviewed, you know, worked in the call centre. You know, I had the name of the company as well, so I knew names, locations. I was able to Google it. I found it on Facebook. They had held recruitment drives for people. Yeah. And then people started coming out of these call centres, and they all told the same story. You know, it's an identical story. Now, it's not unfeasible they could be making the whole thing up. But when I had the company name, that was really useful, because I could say to them, come on, give me the name of the company. And when they gave it to me, I, was go- I would think, ah, okay, there's no way you could have known that company name because that's not in the public domain. Right. The way the scam worked, they could have looked up on the internet and contacted me and said, oh, I was part of that scam. But when they're giving me information that isn't public and detail that's not public, then I'm like, okay, I actually believe these people all worked in the same call centre and all part of, this, part of the scam. Now, they Ooh. felt, the two guys that I've communicated with mostly on this felt very guilty, they said about what they'd done. They claimed they had no idea it was a scam. They had no idea in the end that money was being transferred out of bank accounts. As far as they were concerned, they were just installing software. And when they realized what they were part of, they felt guilty and they contacted me. Hmm. Did you believe that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Their motivations for contacting me, their motivations for taking the job, I can't really guess at. The other thing that was difficult about this, and I'll just be upfront and honest about it, one of them asked me for money. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. Now, that's not the first time that's happened, and, and subsequently there's been other people contacted me. This guy didn't ask for money straight away up front for the information. He'd already given me the information. And then he asked for money. At that point, I'm thinking, well, no, I, I'm not pay- I can't pay you for the information. Also, that, that jeopardises the information. Do you see what I mean? Because... Then somebody's got an incentive to make things up. Do you see what I mean? If, if you sure, pay them. but I mean, again, from films, I know I reference films too much, <laughs> but, you know, police always pay tipsters for tips, don't they? Like stool pigeons. Stoolies. Um, <laughs> yes, they do. But on the other hand, A, the police have money and I don't. Some freelance at this point, remember, right? Yeah. And B, um, as a journalist, I say, ethically, there's not a sort of scheme. Anyway, look, newspapers maybe have this, but certainly in TV and broadcast, we'd have a scheme of paying fees to people for tip-offs particularly if they've already given us the tip-off and you know that's just not and around the whole thing is this ethical issue of hang on well can I still trust you after I paid you the money because maybe you only told me this stuff because I paid you the money yeah however with this guy I did agree a payment because when we drilled down into it he said look I have to skip town if you're going to use this information they potentially know who I am and you know they 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 it's not going to take them a, a huge amount of time to figure out who it is. 
I have to leave. I have to get out of town and I have to lie low for a couple of days. And why set would up they know else. it's him and not one of the many other employees? Can't really go into that, but there was reasons why um, okay. it could have been identified to him. Obviously, in the end, I haven't. He hasn't certainly hasn't come back to me and says, "Oh, by the way, I got identified." So I'm, you know, we co- we conversed after the story went out. So I'm pretty sure he's safe. But I did get that that he needed to skip town and he needed to get a train fare out and he needed a hotel for a couple of days. You know, I get that, and that's part of keeping your interviewee safe. Because at the point where he contacted me, it was it was concerning. But oh, this is exciting, like a movie actually. I no, just because he might yeah. have had to skip town. Skip town, yeah. <laughs> they only do that in films. People don't <laughs> skip town in real life, do they? I, I realise now I've used the phrase "skip town." So um, anyway, he's uh, he's as far as I'm aware, he's safe. But I just wanted to square that off because it's one of those things that just preys on your mind of like, oh, is this, is this, isn't this. You know, yeah, it, yeah I didn't. I, I, yeah. yeah, but you did agree a payment to him, mm. and he was for a thing. So did he skip town and lay low in a motel room? Um, yeah, throwing a throwing a baseball at the wall into yeah. a glove, like, and only occasionally leaving the room to get some ice from yeah. the machine at yeah. the end of the corridor. At which point, obviously, you get <laughs> spotted by the guys who are trying to trace you, and then you know, yeah. no, no, I don't think any of that happened. Um, the risk is the guy just basically took some money off me, and and but but. But he just did have legitimate reasons why he wanted uh, uh, the payments. Okay. So then, this is brilliant. I've got insiders from inside the criminal call centre who've identified their bosses positively on camera, who've given me the scripts they use, who've given me the company names that they use. I've substantiated the company exists, that they are recruiting for call centre people. It's all, everything's there. It's all there. Yeah. So we stick the story out. So we went out on the BBC, on the BBC website. Um, got good traffic, got good pickup. People seem really interested in it. It was a glimpse inside the sort of the, the scam call centre that had been doing all of this. Told Tamsin about it and everything. Um, and then it's like, right, stage two. Ooh. We need to get inside, don't we? Get in undercover. Because we know where the call centre is and they're hiring for people. We can get somebody in undercover who can then film the stuff happening and then bada boom. Because what annoyed me about all this is Sahil Hussein and Shareeb Khan skipped town. Yeah. Didn't stop the operation. I'm getting people calling me even now, even this year, saying, hey, I just have one of these calls. It's still going on. I want them to stop. Because, frankly, after all this time of me covering it, I just feel like that should have, you know... So has stage two begun in any way, then? (laughs) No, because I don't think stage two is going to happen. What? I know. We need stage two. Can't you go in your... uh, Hello... (laughs) My name is uh, Rajesh. Yeah. And I'm from Calcutta. I'd love to get a job in your call centre. That is. Sorry, I don't speak Hindi. Yes. <laughs> Stage one is Jeff not being able to do it, right? That's, that's, that's hurdle one to get over. Right. Right. So we need to find somebody in India who's local, who can, who can legitimately go in. Number two, you need to give them a backstory. Now, these days, like, that's quite... So it can't really be a journalist because they're, they're potentially their face and their name and everything's going to be known. Mm. The city where this is based is, by Indian standards, quite a small city. By our standards, quite a large city. But, you know, still, people know each other. You've got to have somebody who has a legitimate reason for suddenly turning up, for wanting this job and this job particularly, who has a convincing background online, you know, has an existence online that looks legit. Mm. You have to, they, they don't have to have a fake CV. Well... And this is all subterfuge. I mean, as a journalist, this is ethical problems with this. You have to substantiate every step of the way why you need to do this, the evidence of criminality. But then you have to justify, well, 
we're going to need a fake CV and a fake email address and a fake employer. What if they phone up one of your previous employers for a reference? Mm. The other problem in India is, have you heard of this thing, the Aadhaar card? Have you come across this? No. The Aadhaar card is the Indian identity card. Right. Which Indian citizens now have to have. You happen to have an Aadhaar card, which of course is your real name. So if you're putting somebody in undercover, they either use their real name, in which case they're vulnerable to, you know... Or you get a fake ID. Well, yeah, at which point you're buying a... No way, they can't buy a fake... I mean, that's... I don't think that's legit. So there's all these difficult things. The other problem with this is I'm a UK broadcaster. I'm working for a UK broadcaster. This is all happening in India. You, you've, you've got to be over there overseeing this thing because what if it turns ugly and you have to... You want to be outside the call centre every moment that person's in there in case something goes wrong so you're ready to get them, at, to them out. There's like a safety... These are, you know... Yeah, good point. I don't think they're violent criminals, but I don't, I don't know. And again, you might be... <clears throat> You might be conspicuous standing outside an Indian court's call centre for days on end. In my hire car, yeah, just, you know, with my pencil sitting in the, you know, pen and pencil sitting in the car, yeah. yeah. That might Is stand that out. English guy still out there? Yeah, yeah he's yeah. been out there for five days now. He, yeah, and he takes this guy home every night. I wonder what's happening there. Yeah, there are multiple <laughs> issues why this is difficult. I did also reach out to Indian news outlets to see if I could get some of them interested. That proved difficult as well, just couldn't quite... Because they were saying, well, this is a problem for UK people. And I'm sort of thinking, well, actually, yeah, it kind of is. But it's also it's happening in it. Um, so they were kind of... Well, so the Indian press were kind of thinking, well, you know, we we just benefit from this. We don't... <laughs> it's, it's income for us. And, no, I don't think that was their response. <laughs> it's foreign transfers of money from in the UK to India. Was, and also, actually, there is a dimension, a political dimension. This the, the, this is what's called business process outsourcing, this business of call centres in, in India. And yeah. BPO is a huge industry in India. Um, these are very rich, powerful companies. There could be an issue where... They don't want to, you know, do this. Actually, just on that front, we should. Uh, Wipro have, beyond the initial comment, not commented on any of this, and I've been to them several times. So Wipro have, have, have issued a no comment on the issue of the data theft, the prosecutions, and so on. From the very beginning, I think they only made one comment, and it was, you know, we're looking into this issue. Um, Talk Talk's response has been really interesting. Um, at the time, they were obviously... All over the media about the cyber attack in October 2015. Yeah. Um, their explanation for that was look, we need to get out in front of the media and warn our customers. We're being ethical, we're doing the right thing and telling our customers what's happened. Um, regarding the Wipro thing, they said, yes, we are investigating this and we are, um, you know, trying to work out what's happened. Mm. Um, so that was their response on that. In terms of sort of wider kind of issues, Talk Talk have said, look, we've got in touch with our customers uh, regarding, we got in touch with our customers at the time about these scam calls, they say. We sent letters out, we sent emails out. I have to say, the customers I've spoken to don't recall getting those letters or emails, but Talk Talk said, look, we've informed our customer base. But what's interesting as well is Talk Talk have, have, have done a really interesting sort of PR kind of a thing afterwards of saying, look, we survived this cyber attack. Mm. People can learn lessons from us. So that's Talk Talk's gig or at least has been you know in the immediate aftermath of the October 2015 hack say look we you know as a survivor we can tell you what's what this is like to go through the mill on this so I thought there's an interesting kind of PR twist there of you know almost owning the problem and kind of taking it forward yeah do you buy it I'm not sure you're not alone (laughs) (laughs) in that assessment (laughs) 
So this is the thing. Okay, right. What's what subsequently emerged is the Information Commission's office investigated. Yeah. Regarding the October 2015 hack, about 150,000 people's data was 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 compromised, was stolen, uh, and Talk Talk have been back and contacted those people. Regarding the India thing, which is separate to the 2015 hack, the Information Commission's office investigated and said, look, actually, 21,000 customers' details may have been accessed, possibly subject to these scam calls. Talk Talk fined uh, were fined by the ICO several hundred thousand pounds. So that's what's happened subsequently in terms of regulation. Question is, in October 2015, when Talk Talk didn't know how many customers had been affected, they went on air and said, we think it might be up to 4 million, i.e. up to all of our customers. Right. Subsequently, it turns out it's a much smaller number. Should Talk Talk have kept quiet until a smaller number was known and then come out with it? Or did they do the right thing immediately going on air and going, we've been hacked, let's just tell people and... Well, companies always get criticised for not coming out straight away hmm. and admitting things um, when customers' data is uh, is possibly being used. Then it's always just assumed, well, by the media that they should come straight out and just say, "Look, there's a risk. We're not sure how many people are affected, yeah. but you really should just be aware of this, so that everybody can just take extra precautions." And, and that's true. The counter-argument, which was really interesting when we started getting to the Indian call centre scam thing, is as soon as that October 2015 hack happened, those guys hit the phones for a fresh go. Because suddenly you can phone up a customer, the hack is fresh in their mind, you can, you know, and it's not like TalkTalk Talk customers are going to be thinking, oh, well, there's only a small number of TalkTalk Talk customers. At the time TalkTalk Talk announced it, every TalkTalk Talk customer could have felt vulnerable. So every talk talk customer gets a call is potentially a good target for fraud. So I, I it's inter- I, I, I'm, I don't come down either side of the fence on this, but I can see both arguments. Coming clean early when you don't know much, but then coming clean early when you don't know much might expose people to scams that they wouldn't have had. It's tricky. I mean, I have to admit here to a grudging respect for uh, Sahel <laughs> and his colleague mm. because... Um, in that circumstance, once it hit the papers and everybody was talking about talk talk scams, mm. my my glass half empty kind of attitude would have been, oh well, that's my scam ruined then. What a waste of time! I'm just giving this whole thing up. Whereas they yes. took lemons and turned them into lemonade. lemonade. <laughs> yep, they really did, and and they made a lot of money out of that lemonade, and potentially are still doing so. Still doing so. That's what really gets me, Jeff. You've got to bring them down. I just um... it's up to you. No, none of the law enforcement <laughs> authorities seem to care. So it's got to be you, the one maverick. <laughs> yeah, and look, buddy, I've tried, um, but there's just a certain point where you've got to draw a line under it and say you've done all you can look it it might still result hey look i should also address the tamsin point tamsin never got her money back from talk 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 say and there is uh, there is some merit in this at a certain point our liability breaks come on Mm. at the point where you withdraw the money in cash at the post office come on we're not you know that we can't take the hit for that of course Tamsin and others would argue, well, hang on, the only reason I did that in the first place was, was because they had the yeah. customer number, exactly. which was Talk Talk's fault. Exactly. Tamsin... Um, so was... I kind of, I think I'd side with Tamsin. Yeah. I mean, I can see Talk Talk's point, but if they hadn't had the customer number and it was Talk Talk's negligence that allowed Sahel and whoever else to get that customer account number, mm. that was that was the key piece of information that allowed her money to be stolen. Mm. Yeah. After this, Tamsin, it's fair to say this, this, this whole incident um, affected Tamsin quite a lot. I think it, 
when you you know I know burglaries for example when people get burgled they just never really feel settled in their home again yeah and what's interesting is Tamsin was thinking about moving anyway she just suddenly realised hang on these guys have my home address oh yeah so she decided she was going to move and she moved house and about the time she moved house they set up a second office in India to do these call scams Second office. Two offices in India and the place in Calcutta doing the uh, doing They're the expanding. I know, I know. So, not a great ending, but at least, you know, gave the frighteners to a couple of guys who seem to have been involved in this stuff. So, ladies and gentlemen, the moral of this story is crime pays. <laughs> and it pays big. Um, n- n- no. Tamsin had to move house, oh, and the no. Indian guys are expanding their operation. The end. Look, the motif for this program is it, it never doesn't end well. <laughs> These aren't happy endings. That's true. This um, is real life. This is real life. But look, I mean, you know, fundamentally, it's the classic thing with scams. If if you don't expect it, then suspect it. Mm, as ah. I always say. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. Um, I, I must remember that. Yeah. Anyway, it's been fun to do it, and it's been fun to do another uh, cybercrime investigation. Yeah, thanks. You brought me right down and uh, made me feel like the world is an even more dangerous place than I thought it was. Oh, Glenn. Never mind. Yeah, but like you say, you know, I've been comparing this to Hollywood movies all the way through and saying this is like a Hollywood yep. movie, but now yep. I find we get to the, we hit a brick wall. It's like, this yep. is real life. Yep, and, and it doesn't end with a kind of nice montage at the end of happy endings and so on. I'm sorry. <laughs> That was Cybercrime Investigations Inside the Talk Talk Hack with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. On behalf of myself and Glenn, thank you for listening.